our year of hope, and we're right now in a series called I Am Who God Says I Am. And we're learning more about who God has created us to be. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that I kept in my early 20s having these visions in my head over and over again. And it was pictures of me speaking to people. And I would feel that feeling on the inside of me that was like, this is who you're going to become. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I mean, I would just literally get sick thinking about standing before crowds of people. At that time, I'd only stood before about five or six people doing some, some seminar training, uh, just kind of in the corporate world, not a big deal. And so I was just like, oh, why do I keep seeing that? It's just so sickening. And so I would see myself, and then I would see my life, and my life did not align with me speaking to crowds because I was always in a church. And I thought, I'm too far away from church you know, and so I kept having these visions. Well, in my early 30s, I was on a plane ride, and that's like a fast track to praying that salvation prayer when the plane ride goes bad, and so the the pilot comes on and says, well, we've got a problem with our, our nose gear, so we're not going to be able to land where we thought we were going to land, and we're not real sure what we're going to do. So we're going to circle up in the air for a while until we can figure out what we're going to do. Well, that can definitely get you on a fast track of a plan. But here's the thoughts that I had during that whole time of circling around and around while they're trying to figure out what we're going to do. In the midst of that, they're training us for the crash landing, uh, how you're supposed to be when, you're, when you do the crash. I was like, oh, no. I, I, just please don't teach us that one. But they did. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, my life has no purpose. I, I really have not accomplished anything in my life that's to speak about, anything that matters. Everything was about me, what I wanted, what I needed, where I was heading. You know, everything was about me. Nothing was about purpose that made a difference in life around me. And I was ashamed almost to say that prayer. You know, God, come into my life. If you can just get me off of this plane in one piece, then I will give my heart and I will surrender to you. Have you ever made a deal with God kind of like that? All right, so, so they circle and they, they foam up the landing strip and they say, okay, prepare for crash landing. And I'm shaking so bad. I mean, I just, you just can't imagine. We had about the smoothest landing that you can have. And the pilot comes on and said, well, obviously that was an indicator light. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I done gave my heart to Jesus. Lord knows what he's going to do to me. I don't know. But I can't go back on that. And I sort of walked off that plane shaking a little bit and thinking, okay, God, I really don't know how to serve you. And I know I just made a deal with you. And so I kind of tried to live my life like I'd always lived it. And I had all these random people coming up to me and giving me books and giving me scriptures and whatnot. And I'm like, man, he didn't forget, did he? <laughs> and it wasn't, but several months later, I kept seeing those visions that I had seen from when I was younger. And I'm thinking, there's something special that I am supposed to do. I couldn't reconcile that God had a reason for me to do something special for him because so far my life didn't mean anything. I was raised in a childhood that was dysfunctional with a capital D. 
My mother had a lot of anger issues, a lot of mental problems that they really didn't deal with back then much. They didn't even come up with words like bipolar yet. They didn't have words for that. There wasn't people that were helping people like that. Not yet. And my father was a convicted rapist. And I was trying to reconcile how could God, the little girl from the black sheep whole family, not just one of us, but all of us, (laughs) that nobody can play with, want anything to do with me. It took a long time for me to figure out that God cared. How could a holy God have a purpose for me? How could he have a purpose for my life? How do you know that you've been chosen by God? Well, there's a scripture in Matthew 22, 14. It says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. And I would read that scripture and I'd go, okay, so many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, how do you know that you've been chosen? Well, after all these years, let me just fast forward after everything I've been through. The chosen are the ones who went. (laughs) God's calling us all. But the chosen are the ones who actually went. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. When we were still a hot mess, he put an investment in us and said, I'm going to do this ahead of time. I'm going to pay this forward. I'm going to go ahead and make things right for you. All you have to do is come. We are valuable to God. We are valuable to God. He has so much for us, yet we get stuck in a rut We get stuck in a life that we're trying to make sense of and we have no idea that God has a major purpose going on for everything that we go through. Many of us are stuck in places where we're doing things that we're not passionate about doing. I used to say to everybody, I'm not gifted and I'm not crafty and I have no creativity. And I I would give you a long list of what I wasn't. And then I would just keep doing my mundane things and be bored in my everyday life. Do you know that 55% of people are not actively engaged in their work? So for you business owners that are out there, you're going, what? You mean 55% of my people don't give a rip? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. And 16% are actively disengaged. Now, these are people that don't know their purpose. They don't understand what they're called to do. And when you don't love what you do, sometimes you have to pray and ask God. But there's a lot of people that don't know God at this passionate level who understand that there's a calling and a purpose in their life. We do this by discovering what God has called us to do. Sometimes you have to try a thing or two. I remember when I first came to church and I was really spiritually awakened and I just wanted to jump in and try everything. Well, the first place they threw me was in the nursery. I said, I am not anointed for this. (laughs) Changing diapers and squawking kids. I said, oh, no, 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 no. And now there's some people that, oh, they love it. They live for it. They just, I mean, they're everything. I got a family member that's like that. 
She just wants to be back there with the babies. It's not me. (laughs) So we learn this by spending time with God. We learn and we discover what God has called us to do by spending time with him. Many of us are trying to do things and we don't really know what God's will is for us. And that's okay. But if you'll spend a little bit of time with him, you will figure out where you're passionate. Number two, we learn that by ministering to other believers. Once you kind of jump in and get involved in a church and you get around other people, you start figuring out what's, ex- what's exciting to you. The next place they tried to throw me was back there with the, with the middle schoolers. I said, oh boy, I'm really not anointed for this. When I would go and spend time with the middle schoolers, I'd have to sleep for the rest of the afternoon. I was like, okay, this is not me either. But I kept trying and I kept going and saying, God, where do you want me? And I kept pursuing him. What am I passionate about? I never dreamed it would be writing and talking and doing some of the things that I've ended up doing. Number three, we learn and we discover through reaching out to the lost. We reach out to the lost. Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth. The goodness on the inside of us is contagious to those around us if we know how to use it right. And that's what I'm hoping that we're going to start doing here at LifePoint. Getting people excited and passionate and motivated and encouraged to do what God has put on the inside of them. All too often, we just think if I can get around the right person or if they can just lay hands on me and pray for me and and, and all of it's going to become crystal clear. What God has done in you is inside of you to be discovered and developed and to be poured out. Other people cannot always tell you what that is. That kind of gift you get at salvation Many of us are born with great gifts and skills and things that we can do. I know people who are fabulous organizers, who are greatly skilled, who can do magnificent things, surgeons who can do, I mean, just crazy stuff, fixing the body and doing all kinds of stuff. It's a a skill. It's something that they learned and then they're passionate. But you know what? Their passions may be, I like to help people. There's a guy in here that's greatly skilled, and and you know what he likes to do? He likes to give. So he uses his skill to give it to other people. But he's really, deep down inside, he's a giver. He doesn't feel alive unless he's giving. Here's the thing about your ministry. Your gift makes room for your ministry, the Bible says. What that really means is use your gift and your ministry will happen. That's the way it works. There's needs that God wants to reach, and he's going to do that through you. We minister to people in three three areas of needs. Number one, in their physical needs. Matthew 25 says, when I was hungry, you fed me. So a lot of times we're going to be called to fulfill needs. Also, emotional needs. Warning the idle, encouraging the timid, and helping the weak, and being patient with all kinds of people. That's a gift. When somebody wants to go out and read, that's kind of where I function and operate. I love helping people that have emotional issues going on. 
life experiences prepare us for this. Many of us are sitting around going, you know, why do I keep getting to go through this same hot kind of mess? I know I've said that many times. God, why do you keep taking me through hard stuff? (laughs) I've been looking for my cushion ride in this spiritual life for a long time. Where's the cushion seat, Lord? It's always like a bumpy roller coaster. But here's what I've learned. Trouble sets the stage for God's greatest work in us. The story that you're running from is the story that God wants to use. Be authentically you. I know people that used to go to church and say, oh, Lord Jesus, stay away from her. She's always going to ask you how you're doing and what's going on. And, what's and you don't want to tell everybody your mess. Because you're afraid the church is going to judge you. I get that. I know. But God wants us to use our mess to help these people that have these emotional needs. Number three, your spiritual needs. Second Corinthians says we are reconciled to God through Christ. And this is what we give to others. You know what? I think often, too time, often we spend our time wondering how to's and the what ifs. And, and if I reach out like this, what are they going to do? Are they going to judge me if I'm honest? You know, too much. We get all caught up in how that's going to look. We just need to be real. God's working in ways that we don't even realize. People will say, you know, years ago, Marty, you said this. And I was like, well, Lord, goodness, I said a lot of stuff. I'm a mouthpiece. I mean, I'm always talking. And he said, well, years ago, you said this, and boy, that really hit me. I got no clue. You lost me. I don't remember saying that. You know, and the thing, you can't get too caught up in how well am I doing? Is this my calling? Just do it. Just do it. (laughs) Do it afraid. Do it if you look silly. Just do it. Because you know what? God's a big old God. And if you get off track, he knows how to get you back on track. And don't ever forget that. Jesus saves us to do ministry. You're saved to serve. Second Timothy says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. It's not about you. Just like Rick Warren's first, first sentence in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, It's not about you, and it's really not. Ministry is a priority. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance, in advance, in advance for us to do. Makes sense now, didn't make sense years ago. It makes sense now because all these visions that I was was seeing, God had already invested something in me that I was still clueless about when it came to my mind or my skill. Had no idea. If you would have told me in my 20s what I'm doing even today, I'd have said, you are smoking whatever. (laughs) I said, you're off. There's no way. God is actively working in our lives in many ways just to use us. And he's saying, if you will just let me be in charge, I'll take care of this. You know, when you're flying on a plane 
and you hit turbulence. The pilot comes on and says, we're going to change the altitude because we want to hit some smoother air. And sometimes we're facing things in life just like that. And God is like, if you will just come up a little higher, it'll be a little smoother for you. God wants to use you. And he wants to train you to not let your circumstances be ahead of what he's trying to do in you through those circumstances. All too often, we're always praying for our circumstances to go away. Just take them away so I can be at peace. I get that. I have prayed that prayer uh, many, many a times. But God is always working new things in your life. Many of us are still talking about what God did 20 and 30 years ago, and we're trying to commemorate where he used to work, and he's trying to say, I'm working right now. It's a new thing. Let's cross over. Let's go higher. Let's get what God is trying to do in our lives, and let's get outside of our comfort zones, and let's go to that next dimension. Let's begin to understand deeply what heaven is doing. If he's given all authority in heaven and earth to us, frail, broken people, you know, you think, God, why would you do that? Why didn't you just send out some rock star angels to come and pass your message along to people and make them just make it sound all pretty and make it all Why didn't you do it like that? And he's like, but I chose you. Goofy you that can't even walk straight sometimes, you know. Goofy you that doesn't always say the right. The goofy you. And God's like the cutest little thing I ever saw. (laughs) He thinks you are just it. The Bible says that he writes our name in the palm of his hand. He loves us. And we are just trying to fight and buck the system that he said, I got you right where you're at. I know exactly what you're going through. And I'm about to take you through this thing. You got to trust me. Walk in my ways. Walk in my ways. Deuteronomy talks about walking in his ways and what you will do, if, what you do to be blessed. And then it goes into what you'll do if you're cursed. And you're just like, ugh. Help me to walk in your ways. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, If you'll seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. There's a growth process. We can't really tap into that passion line until we're tapping in to the process. The storms, the trials. This is also where you meet the adversary. Ah, We like to think we don't have one of those. Well, go try to do something big for God, and you'll find out where it is. (laughs) You know, when I started the prison ministry, I thought God was crazy. (laughs) I was like, prison ministry? I I don't know that that's my calling. He's like, no, no, yep, that's definitely where I want you to go. So I went to their program where they start training you, and basically the training consists of this. If they, if they, Grab you and take you into a closet. Just sit there. Awesome. (laughs) 
thanks. And just remember this. The first thing they try to do is steal your clothes because then they can put on your clothes and walk out looking like you. I said, oh, no, they won't. <laughs> it will be going down for real if they try to get my clothes. <laughs> this is not going to be, uh-uh, uh-uh, you ain't getting my clothes. <laughs> you may slap me a time or two, but you ain't getting my clothes. <laughs> and so I'm, so I'm like, okay, great. And then they said, okay, now what, who do you want to help? You know, and then they have this list. And God speaks to me, sex offenders. I said, oh, no, I got nothing in common with those people. How in the world could I possibly help sex offenders? He said, check the box. Check the box. Get a call. God starts giving me this information download, basically. So I stepped out into this area of faith, and then he gives me this download of what he wants me to do. Before I knew it, I had an entire curriculum. So here I go down to the Texas prison system, and I pitch my idea. I said, here's what I think can convert these sex offenders into Christians that are going to have such an awareness of who God is that they will never, ever lift a finger to touch somebody else's body in a wrong way, ever. And they looked at me and they go, oh, really? I said, well, if all works as it should, yes. <laughs> awesome. Let's pilot the program. So we went in. So I remember the, the first time that I went down to do my first, my first one. And I mean to tell you, I was shaken from head to toe. Because the night before, you know how you learn that you have an adversary is when you're waking up with nightmares and you're seeing these really weird people and, and you, you realize that that's about to happen tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> so I'm driving down there and I said, look, I just, I don't get this. So I pull off on the side of the road and I said, God, this is a wrong ministry for me. He said, your daddy was a rapist. That's what these people are. I think I put it in you. What you need, you get your butt back on the road and get down there. Really? Okay. So I just go in and I'm just transparent and I share my story. And I, and I have this sudden camaraderie with convicted rapist. <laughs> and it's unbelievable. And they're all getting transformed and they're all changing. And they're all wanting more information on how to be different. And I'm like, what? Three years later, I received the governor's award for the program. I'm like, what? Front page of the Dallas Morning News, on the news and everything. I'm like, sometimes you got to jump out and just do what God says when it makes no sense. You are authorized, everybody. Today, you are authorized by God to do his work. Boom. Got it? Or emerald. Bam. <laughs> you are uniquely shaped for a purpose. You have spiritual gifts on the inside of you. It's called shape. We're going to be teaching more about that in, at, here at LifePoint. But shape stands for this. The S stands for spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, in everyone, it is the same God at work. The H stands for heart and passion. 
Psalms 37, 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know that your desires have been put there by God? A stands for abilities. Exodus 31, 3 says, and I have filled them with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. We have everything it takes. The P stands for personality. No one can really know what anyone is thinking and what, it's, what, and what he is really like except the person himself. This is why nobody else can tell you what God is telling you. You have to learn to hear for you. The E stands for experience, which none of us want, okay? <laughs> In our dealings, we've been pure and sincere, quietly depending on the Lord for his help. You know, I love the story of Paul, the Apostle Paul. While Paul was still uttering murderous threats on the road to Damascus, Jesus knocked him clean off his donkey. And when he fell to the ground, he looked up and he said, Who are you? And Jesus says, I'm the one that you're persecuting. Not the people, but it's me. Because you touch my people, you touch me. There's, that's a message in itself. And Paul was forever changed. He was blinded for three days. He went to Ananias. Ananias prayed for him. The scales fell off his eyes. He was never the same. He completely took all of his passions and desires to become one of these soldiers that used to kill the Christians. And he placed them all toward the passion of God. God had a calling on his life he could not get away from. Once his eyes were open to it, he was willing to do whatever it took to make sure that that happened. And God will do the same for you. Second Corinthians talks about how Paul suffered, but Paul never counted the cost. But yes, he suffered, and he was willing to suffer, and he did it with joy. He worked as a tent maker. He wasn't paid like some of our ministers are today. He was imprisoned. He was chased. He was beaten, shipwrecked. He went without food. He went without sleep. He had a thorn in his side that he called it, which means he had some sort of a weakness in life that he kept saying, God, please take this weakness away from me. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And God says, my grace is sufficient. Continue to deal with it and proceed into your ministry. See, we all get this conception, we've got to be perfect. Well, as soon as I get this cleaned up in my life, and as soon as I get that done, and forget it. You're never going to be perfect. Start where you are. God is a big God. Paul's life was not beautiful. Sufferings. The disciples were afraid of him. The Jews tried to kill him. Ministry is hard. I had the blessing to be able to go to Greece a few years ago. And, and so we were touring all of the touristy stuff. And everything is an Acropolis, which when you look that up, Acropolis means a pile of rocks. <laughs> so we saw lots of Acropolis. And then we, you know, get to the Parthenon, which is this big, awesome place where all of the myth gods and the Greek mythologies and all of that stuff came forth. And they were the rock stars of their time. They looked like the place to be. It was awesome, way ahead of their time. And I kept saying, well, where, where did Paul preach? Where's Mars Hill? I kept asking. 
And we had to get off the beaten path because it's not something that people normally go and pay attention to and look at. So we had to get off the beaten path and we had to ask, where's Mars Hill? And we had to take our own cab over there to find it. So we get there and it looks just like a necropolis. It looked like a little mohill. It was very small. Six steps and I'm up on top of Mars Hill. I'm like, you're kidding me. And this is where Paul taught the Corinthians. So I climbed up to the top of that little hill, and I could see the Parthenon at a distance that looked quite awesome, and I realized Paul's situation. He looked pretty podunky, and the Parthenon looked pretty awesome. But he was preaching the word with fire and fervor. And I said, God, I get it. But you see, I'm looking for a spiritual experience at this moment because I'm, with, I'm where Paul was. I'm like, God, almighty God, please speaketh to me. And do you know what I heard in my spirit? I heard God say, ministry is hard. I opened my eyes and I looked up the Parthenon, looked back down at Mars Hill, and I said, I can see that. It's a revelation. And God wants to give us a revelation of who we are and what we're called to do. Second Chronicles 15.7 says, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Be willing to rise to the occasion. Be willing to get outside your comfort zone. Be willing to go through difficulties. You know, I went through a terrible time a year and a half ago. I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I thought, you're kidding, I'm toast. I'm not going to make it. I'm done. And God kept telling me, he said, no, you're going through. And I would have sweet friends that would come over and say, I'm praying for God to supernaturally heal you. And I'm like, amen, take it out, God, right here, right now, no surgery required. And I kept hearing God say, no, you're going through. It's a year recovery, God. Do I have time for that? I have a calling on my life. Oh, God, you got time. And you know what God gave me? Daniel eleven thirty five. 35, it says, Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined and purified and made spotless until the end of time. I said, oh, obviously I still don't have enough grace and mercy for some. So God is going to allow something else in my life, but this is to grow me. This is to make me more into who I'm called to be. This is that I might finish the race well. Okay, God. And I went through my year of recovery and laying in bed, and that was hard, and it wasn't easy. And yes, at the moment, I couldn't believe it. But it was the right thing for me to take to my heart that God will get me through this. And I never had a day of fear. You're accountable for ministry. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account to ourselves for, for our ministry. Learn to listen to how the Lord speaks. You might want to jot this down. I did not put it in your notes. But the Lord speaks like this. Number one, he speaks through prayer. Number two, he speaks through the Bible. Number three, he speaks through circumstances. And number four, he speaks through other people. And he also speaks through nature. People work is hard work. We often pray for deliverance from bad bosses, bad jobs, bad relationships, bad marriages. We just want to be delivered. And yet the Bible says, consider it all joy. 
when you face trials. For it's the testing of your faith that produces the perseverance that I need you to have in your life. Just like Jesus said, he said, nevertheless, in Gethsemane, let your will be done. You don't want to be underdeveloped trying to, trying to do cute in the spiritual world. It don't, play, it don't work like that. You got a real adversary and you will meet him. But he is not greater than God. Whew. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And that's a fact. You have to lose your life to find it, the Bible says. You'll be rewarded for ministry. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we all want to hear. You have to refuel when you've gone through difficulties. You have to reset your hope. You know, when a woman's in labor, she gets pauses between contractions, and all the women said, Amen. Why? Because that hurts. <laughs> it is painful. Take a pause, take a breath, and jump back in. It's the way it works. What is ministry not? Ministry is not a halo on your head. Sometimes it's a target on your back. You'll find out who your friends are. <laughs> ministry is not glamorous. Sometimes you go hungry. Ask my team that went with me to Africa. I said, okay, well now when the Africans feed us, let's eat. You need to eat when they feed you because you might not get every meal that you're used to. So we had one of those long spans of 12 hours of no food. And so all of the gang, we got together. We gathered around the table. We pulled all of our little snacks out of our pockets. We stuck it in the middle of the table. We thanked God for it. And we shared our peanut butter and crackers. God's good. God is good. Ministry is not looking through a microscope at others. It's looking at the mirror at yourself. Everything that God refines in your life is preparation for something better. He is never taking you through something to take something away from you. Anytime God takes you through anything, he's trying to get something to you. That's the way it works. Keeping your soul at rest, no matter what your life looks like, but your body in motion. That's God's will for us. God wants to use your gift. He wants to use your passions, the things that make you happy that you would get up and do whether you were paid or not. That's the life God wants for you. So make every effort to enter his rest no matter where you find yourself this morning. And in closing, you know, the cross is the place of mercy and truth and hope, and it's where they all meet. The cross is level ground. It's all the same. And it's ironic to me how some people think that they're worse off than others. It's just not true. It's all level ground. You don't tap into your spiritual gift without first meeting Jesus at the cross. Moses had his burning bush experience, you know. He had wandered in the wilderness. He had tried to, to get, the, get the Israelites away from Egypt his own way, and he made an awful mess. 
Then he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And at the end of that time, when God says, okay, I'm ready to take this thing to the next level, what ends up happening is he comes up to this burning bush, but the bush is not consumed, yet it's on fire. And God speaks to him through that bush, and he says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I'm about to talk to you. And Moses was just mesmerized. This bush is burning, but it's not consumed. You see, the burning bush represents the refinement and the purification of God's people. He had gone through that. Now God had something to tell him about what was about to happen next. Everything he does is to prepare us. My question to you is this. Have you had your burning bush moment? Has it happened yet? Don't get comfortable in your pew, girl. It's time to get up and do something. It's time to be strong. Don't die in the wilderness not knowing who you are. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to us. God's mouthpiece, God's people. It's amazing. I am who God says I am. It's profound. Let's pray. Father, we just love you this morning. And we lay ourselves out before you, God. And we pray, Lord, that you would train us and teach us. And that each moment that we face a difficulty, God, that you would be there. You would lead us and guide us through that moment, God, helping us, training us and teaching us on how to get back up. Lord, we pray that you would disperse dreams and passions, God, from heaven this morning all over this building. That people who've never tapped into the knowledge of who you are or what you're calling them to do would suddenly come into a new reality, God. May they be forever changed as Paul was. May they have their burning bush moment as Moses did. God, we're asking you to be God. We're asking that we would become less, that you can become more. We're asking that we could lose our life, that we might find it. Make us, Lord, your instrument of praise. Make us your administrator, God. And if you've never accepted Jesus, I am urging you to take that step and just say this simple prayer. God, I'm ready. Come into my heart. I don't want to live my life the way I have been. I'm asking you, Lord, to do something great on the inside of me. Save me from myself and help me to know how to live my life for you. I give you this. In Jesus' name.